Well, with the new Sunday school uh, year, there's a new family devotion guide in the back. It says obedience and disobedience. Can't get any uh, more black and white than that, right? Obey or disobey? We're going to continue our teaching through the Old Testament to really get a firm grasp on this whole meta-narrative, the big story of God, so we can find our own individual story and our own individual place in this story. Um, We'll continue through this series to the end of the year, and then I think in January what we'll do is jump into a New Testament epistle and go through a New Testament epistle. But I want to find out what happens to Israel when they go in the land. It's kind of like, I don't want to just be left hanging. They're waiting outside the promised land. They're ready to enter the promised land. And so that's where the new curriculum picks up. If you're not aware, our, our 9 a.m. curriculum, K through 12, every kid's on the same passage of Scripture. And I'm preaching on the same chunk of Scripture. I may not highlight exactly what they're hearing. So if you take one of these devotion guides, you can um, follow up at home, open God's Word, hit some scriptures that I didn't hit. Certainly there's, there's too much there for me to cover. And I apologize, I try to cover it all, and then we run late. So um, what you need to do is take one of these devotion guides home and continue the conversation at home, whether you have children or not, continue the conversation with God, uh, learning from His Word. So these are in the back on um, Left Church. Is it my left, your right, right church? Um, I also have this for you back there. It's a handout. It says, consider the consequences, 35 reasons not to sin. 35 reasons not to sin. You're like, wow, that's a You know, I could think of two or three off the top of my head, but this guy's done a great job compiling some reasons I'd like you to meditate on this week. Uh, This is on either table, because I'm pretty sure there's sinners on both sides of the church. And right in the middle, too. So, praise God for His grace. Amen? Amen. But we need these reminders of why we shouldn't sin. So that's in the back for you. Grab one of those on the way out. Hang it on your refrigerator and where your whole family can see it and read through it. We're going to look at this morning how to live as God's people in a pagan land because God's chosen people, Israel, they're ready to enter the promised land. Only problem is there's already people living there and they're pagan idolaters. God's going to clear out the land and so that's where we stop the parallel Folks, we can't just go into our culture and kill all the unbelievers. That's not how this is going to work. We are called to live in the midst of a perverse and corrupt generation, but we're supposed to let our light so shine before others that people see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen? Easy to say, hard to do. Easy to say, hard to do. Let's think about this generation that's going to go into the land. It's not that first generation that was saved out of Egypt. They had their chance to go in the land. They rebelled. They wouldn't go in. And so God said as punishment, 
that first generation, you're all going to die in the wilderness. Even Moses wasn't allowed to enter the land. With the exception of Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who said, let's go into the land. God will be with us. So Joshua will be leading the people into the land. But this is the second generation. This generation has only known the wilderness. They don't know Egypt. They don't remember the idolatry. All they've known is the true worship of God, and they've been saturated and marinated in God's Word. They've seen evidence of His power, His faithfulness to sustain them with manna. This is just life for them. They don't know any any differently. I think about that with with our current generation. Um, as they grow up in our home, all they know is what they've experienced at home. You can't assume that they remember what life was like when you were little. You can tell them the stories, and you should tell them the stories, but at the end of the day, telling them, you know, when we were kids, we went outside and played, and we weren't attached to our cell phones and our computer. You could tell them that all you want. They don't understand that world. You know, we used to actually have conversations with people face-to-face. We didn't just do this all day with our thumbs. Well, if you want them to understand that, you are going to have to intentionally model it for them. You will have to turn off the computer. You will have to turn off the TV. You will have to sit down and have discussions face-to-face. You can't just talk about the glory days. Certainly, we should be talking to this generation about God's faithfulness, the miracles we have seen Him perform in our lives, how He brought me from darkness into light. I share with my kids, as it's age-appropriate, what my life was like before Christ and how He miraculously brought me to saving faith and what my life was like after Christ. Hopefully they get to see on a daily basis what my life looks like after Christ. So this generation, this this is all they know. And you would think, wow, if ever a generation was poised to be successful as God's people, it's got to be this generation. They, they haven't been immersed in pagan culture. They've, they've known God's Word. They've seen God's faithfulness. And yet, we kind of know the story already. How do they do once they get into the land? Not, not so well. So there's lessons for us to learn here. How are we going to live as God's people in a pagan land? Now, I'm not losing faith in the power of mass repentance. We had the Great Awakening in our our country's history, uh, amazing times of renewal and turning back to God. But I do have to confess from the pulpit that Every time things get worse, I think this has got to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Certainly, the people are going to wake up in our country and turn from secular humanism and turn back to God. And it's just not happening. And so, we aren't to just sit at home in our little yellow bucket, like we said, our little bucket of fear and we'll just circle the wagons and live in the bubble. And when the culture changes, then maybe... We'll 
creep out into the world. Likewise, we said we can't live in that red bucket where it's just, I'm going to be angry with the world, and I'm going to shout at the world, and I'm going to tell them how horrible and they're headed for hell. Well, certainly we need to preach the gospel, and we can't just hide at home. There's got to be a a third way, and that's what we're talking about today. How to live as God's people in a pagan land. Well, how does God prepare His people to go into the land? The book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means literally second law. Now, it's not a, a different law. It's the second giving of the law. Moses gathers the people where everyone can hear, and he reads the law to them again. So Deuteronomy 27 is where we'll pick up the story. Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones and coat them with lime, and write on them all the words of this law. When you cross over so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you, so it shall be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, you shall not wield an iron tool on them. So nothing fancy or ornate, nothing that's going to draw attention to man, nothing like the Tower of Babel, just stark white altar of stone and write on these white stones the entire law of God. This isn't just one of those Ten Commandments memorials that we see them tearing down in front of our courthouses. This is huge, immovable, lasting for generations, altar and monument to God's faithfulness and to His Word. Let me help you picture what Mount Ebal looks like. You're in Tehachapi, and you look south, and that mountain's green, right? Well, There's a mountain across from Ebal called Gerizim, and it's green, and it's lush, and it's fertile. Now, look north. What does a mountain look like north of our city? It's brown, it's barren, nothing grows there. I hear there might be a hospital there someday. I don't believe it, but they tell me there will be a hospital there, but there's nothing growing there. In fact, it's your first sight of Tehachapi, when you come in off 14 to the 58. So when Jennifer and I were invited here to candidate, that was our first view of Tehachapi, and we were like, when does it get pretty? (laughs) You see the cement plant, the monolith, and... But there is green, and there is pretty, and there is lush. Well, God says on the e-ball side, where it's blank canvas... I want these huge white stones with my word inscribed on the stone. A permanent monument, a permanent reminder. You can't miss it. There's no way the trees and bushes are going to grow up and conceal it. That's pretty smart, huh? 
This is a special area in the Promised Land. The valley between Ebal and Gerizim is Shechem. Remember Shechem? It's where Abraham made an altar to the Lord when God made the covenant with Abraham. He says, Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write on all the stones all the words of this law very distinctly. How many times does God have to say, His word is very, very important. What's beautiful about this scene, too, is all the people, men, women, and children, will gather in this valley up onto the hillsides. Okay, it's, it's, the mountains aren't as far apart as ours. They're closer together. And it makes this natural amphitheater. And so Joshua's voice would be amplified naturally. And everyone could hear God's word. And then they would sacrifice on the altar... And the monument is the altar. The burnt offering is an atonement for sin, and the peace offering is is also for sin, but the peace offering is different than the burnt offering. The peace offering can actually be eaten by the people. So when God says, I want you to rejoice before the Lord and eat there, we're talking a huge national what? Picnic, barbecue. Yes! This is awesome. Imagine if our nation gathered in one place every seven years and all the words of the law were written and we celebrated God and barbecued together. I mean, we do something like that, but it's the 4th of July and we, we um, celebrate our independence when really we should be gathering to celebrate our independence from sin and our dependence on God. And then have our barbecue. So that's the first step, is if we're going to go into this pagan land, we need to enter the land with God according to... To his word. The, the word of God has got to be central. You understand that Country Oaks has always been about the word of God, preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God, discipling people according to the word of God, modeling our life according to the word of God. But just because that's a given here doesn't mean we shouldn't remind each other because how soon has, does man drift from the word of God? It happens so quickly. We've seen it happen in churches, in denominations, in our individual lives. I would say to you that if your life is starting to drift and fall apart and you're saying, what is going on? Ask yourself, when's the last time I opened my Bible and truly studied it? When's the last time I prayed to God based on the scriptures that I am reading And how am I doing in walking in obedience to the Word of God? The old saying is, show me a Bible that's falling apart and I'll show you a life that isn't falling apart. Right? Our Bible should be well-read, well-studied, 
and obeyed. Secondly, when they finish reading God's Word, they read the curses and blessings. Curses and blessings. Now, you do this with your kids. Here's the command. Here's the reward for keeping the command. Here's the punishment for breaking the command. Very simple. God does this for us on an individual level and even a national level. Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today. Moses also charged the people on that day, saying, When you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. The tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin... For the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Now, it wasn't that those first tribes were good and the latter tribes were bad. It was just going to be this very poignant picture. Which will it be? Choose this day. How many people have that scripture from the book of Joshua hanging in their home? As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Choose this day, life or death, obedience or disobedience, blessings or curses, two mountains, a bald, empty, scorched earth that is the curses side, Ebal, or the green, lush, full of life, Mount Gerizim. Great visual aid, big visual aid. Can't miss it. And so, half the people standing here, half the people standing here, just as a testimony, look, which people will you be? So consider the consequences of obedience versus disobedience. That's why I put that paper in the back. Next week I should have a paper that has what are the consequences of obedience all the great blessing that comes from God when we choose to obey Him in faith. Now remember, when we choose to obey God, that doesn't mean there's no hardship in life. There's no doesn't mean sickness and suffering go away. Then that persecution won't happen. But I look at my life before Christ and my life after Christ, and it is night and day. And yet, to the casual observer, they may say, you kind of look like he was on the right track even before God. Went to college, got married, had a family, bought a house. These are the things that everybody wants, whether secular or sacred. Yet, I was selfish, miserable, Empty. I was like, okay, I got all the stuff people said is what you're supposed to get. Now what? Discontent? A complainer? A grumbler? Judgmental of my wife? And certainly, if things hadn't changed, I would have become very judgmental of my children. And by God's grace, He led me to church. My wife said, let's go back to church. Why? 
Because that's where grown-up people hang out. That's where grown-up people hang out. So let's go make friends at the church and raise our family there, not because we were seeking God or just because that's what was modeled to us. For those of you whose kids have drifted and you brought them up in the church, I want to give you hope that the seeds are planted. Don't stop praying for your kids. They know where to, to go back. They know it might not be your church, but they know that there's something different about church. For Jennifer and I, it was this. My parents are still married. Your parents are still married. They go to church. Something, there's a correlation. We don't know what it is, but we didn't want to get a divorce. So married people hang out at church. It's amazing what God will use to draw people to himself. That's all, that's all it was. And then we heard God's word. Really, for the first time, and the Holy Spirit opened our eyes, and we understood what it said, and where we were convicted of sin and, and overwhelmed with God's grace in our lives. We, we heard the gospel growing up, we just didn't know the Jesus of the gospel personally. And when we became believers, this... this um, second step really came into play. We really started thinking about life intentionally, considering the consequences of obedience versus disobedience. Not just walking through life as the unbelievers do, darkened in their thinking. What's the point? What's the difference? Those famous words we heard a while back from a certain politician. At this point, what difference does it make? Well, it does make a difference. It does make a difference how we live, the choices we make. I tell you, we started to progress away from just fear of punishment and hope for blessing to a higher motivation, which is we love this God who loved us and gave his life for us. Why would I want to dishonor His name by walking in sin? Remember, that's where Moses' walk with God progressed. God, what about your name? You're a great God. I'm concerned about your great name. If anything, in our dark, corrupt culture, we should care about the way we live for the glory of God's great name. Amen? Amen. Sure, I'm interested in personal blessing, but my faith is growing to the point where what I care about more than anything is God's glory and His great name. I would hate for people to look at my life and say, wow, that's a Christian? Huh. That's just God's not so great. I mean, I could have that without the God and having to give money every Sunday morning. I could stay at home, watch football, and have that kind of life. God's commands to us are clear. Theologians call this the perspicuity of God's Word. Andy and I laugh that theologians would use a word that's not very clear to describe 
the clearness of God's Word. So perspicuity just means it's easy to understand. We're going to teach God's Word in Awana starting this Wednesday night, and the kids are going to understand it. It's not that complicated. Oh, yes, it digs to the depths of the human soul and divides between soul and spirit, as Hebrews 4. It is deep, 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 God's Word. So deep, you can never get to the bottom of it, but so simple. It's right there. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make it make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? No excuse. God is the God who wants to be heard and not seen. Yes, we see the evidence of God all around us, but He has made Himself known to us through language and everybody can handle language. It's how we communicate. It's how we get by in life. We always say with children, you spend the first two years teaching them to walk and talk and the next 16 years telling them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> right? We understand talking. You, it's the first thing you learn as a child. Right? No, stop that. Stop that. Stop it. Right? You do the right thing. Oh, very good, very good. I'm so proud of you. Mommy's so happy with you. Daddy's so happy with you. We get this. We don't need some Gnostic experience where we rise to some higher level of knowledge to understand what God wants. We're not Freemasons. We're not climbing the ladder to the 33rd level. It's quite simple. And there's no middle ground with God. He says, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. It's which one do you want? The blessing of God, the curse of God. And if you've ever read the blessings and curses, um, it'll, it'll knock you off your feet. The curses get really graphic. I mean, this is sober-minded Scripture. We're not playing games here. It's a matter of life or death. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. Now this is what is absolutely fascinating to me. After all of this and after the table is set and they're ready to go in the promised land, God calls Moses and Joshua to a, a private meeting. And this is what Joshua gets to hear about the people he's going to lead into the land. After we hear that, look, it's, it's simple. Obey God, blessing, disobey, horrible cursing and punishment. Well, who would choose that? Nobody would choose that, so everything's going to go great. Deuteronomy 31.16, The Lord said to Moses, and again Joshua is, is standing nearby, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land. That's pretty graphic language, play the harlot. 
into the midst of which they are going and will forsake me. They will turn their backs on me. They will break my covenant, which I had made with them. And then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. Beloved, this is, this is what it means to be accursed of God, that he would hide his face from you. The, the great blessing that Aaron, the high priest, would read to the people You know this, and if you know it, you can say it with me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. That is what it means to be blessed by God. He looks upon you with favor. You feel his light shining on you. He is pleased with you. He's at peace with you. What could be better in life? You can take away all my material goods, but if I have the blessing of Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. But the cursing of God is for him to turn his face from you, to be in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, the Bible describes it. Where is God? I can't find him. He's my enemy. He's abandoned me. I can't find him. God tells Joshua that the people he is leading will rebel. It's not a matter of if, but when. It's not a matter of if, but when. And we need to understand this about ourselves and our culture. It's not whether America was going to rebel. Think about how our country started. We started as rebels. (laughs) We rebelled against the crown. It was tyranny. And there comes a time when, when man must fight against tyranny, but we started as rebels, and it was only a matter of time before we rebelled against God. And you and I are rebels by nature. Yes, we have a new nature if we have faith in Christ, but that old rebellious nature is still hanging around. So number three, I want you to understand, even though we're walking in this pagan land, We need to walk with God in the land according to his word, despite the culture. I know that seems so simple. But the history of our country has been one where the church has abandoned the word of God. Over and over and over again, whole denominations abandoning the word of God, replacing it with the words of man. No matter what is going on in the culture, God tells Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Many of you have memorized this scripture. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Let me get political for a second. Don't turn to the right. Or to the left, follow the word of God. Salvation will not be found in politics. You know, I thought after the Planned Parenthood scandal that maybe our country would rise up and say enough is enough. I'm not hearing it. I thought maybe when they put this clerk in Kentucky in jail, we would say enough is enough. 
For crying out loud, how many national figures have broken the law and they're not going to jail. In fact, they get to serve another term. And this lady just says, I don't want my name on a marriage certificate that goes against my God's word. Please don't make me put my name on the certificate. Maybe we could put a stamp or a seal or something else. Threw her in jail. Is anyone concerned? Or are we just going to go about our, our life? Well, there's nothing we could do about it. Maybe the politician whose platform is religious liberty would be leading in the polls. But no, it's this guy, this Trump guy, right? We thought he'd go away, but he just keeps gaining in the polls. And his message is this. We need to stop those people from taking your money and your jobs. Francis Schaeffer, the great Presbyterian writer, when the Presbyterian church was solid, wrote that when man turns his back on God, you'll see only two things left that are important to him. Personal peace and affluence. I think he prophetically got it right. He was a student of history, so nothing new under the sun. This is where people land when they turn their back on God. What becomes important to them? Personal peace, just leave me alone and let me live a quiet life, and affluence. Let me build my wealth and keep people from taking it from me. And whoever will promise me that and deliver that, that's my guy. So don't turn to the left and don't turn to the right. Follow the guide of the word and follow the leader who points you to God's word. No matter what the culture is doing. If you listen to the word and obey the word and do the word, you are going to look strange and foreign in your own nation. That is where we're headed. Be ready for that. You are going to look different. You're going to look strange, foreign. You will be mocked. And when mocking doesn't stop you, then persecution will come. Only be strong and very courageous. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Meditate, ruminate, study it, understand it, ask questions of it. Don't just read your five verses a night to say, I checked off my Bible reading. That is not meditating. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. If you're reading God's word with purpose, you're asking yourself, how will I apply this? For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you're with him, he's with you. Don't be afraid of where our country is headed, beloved. Stand with God and all your ways will prosper. And I'm not talking about your checkbook. Your life will prosper. He will bless you. Beloved, remember, obedience is not just avoiding sin. It's actively planning and purposing to carry out God's commands. Are you thinking about how will I apply God's word? How will I be a light in my workplace? Thank you, Matt, for your teaching this. How will I 
witness to the world? What will it look like? Will I have answers for those when they have questions? You can't just live this quiet life hoping you don't sin. That passive type life is how you will fall into sin. We see our young people, this happening to them between the ages of like 17, 18, 19, 20. They get in this holding pattern. They won't launch into the world. And they're like, well, I just try not to sin. Good luck with that. It's like an airplane circling the airport. You're going to run out of fuel and you're going to crash and burn. Land the plane, refuel, chart a course, launch the plane, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God. Now, this might be the most important part, so listen up. You got the God's Word, got the God's Word, got the God's Word. What's the first thing God's Word tells us about ourselves other than that we're created in God's image? Genesis 3. We don't like to listen to God's Word. Uh Uh-oh. If the Word is all-important and we don't, naturally like to listen to God's Word, that's a problem. We need to be suspicious of our own sin nature. Even those of us who say we love God, we love His Word. I've got, you know, 150 Bibles at home. I've got apps on my phone. I've, I've got daily bread on my computer. I go to 14 Bible studies and lead five of them. Don't think for a second that means that you are automatically going to obey God's Word. If you're a good student of God's Word and a good teacher of God's Word, you need to understand that we need to be suspicious of our own sin nature. That's how we're going to live in a pagan culture and not be sucked into the culture. Where is my blind spot? Where is my weak spot? Where is my Achilles heel? Where I need people in my life to tell me where I tend to fall. And other people know it better than I do, and they can see it in my life. That's where this accountability comes in. So the Israelites cross into the land, and God's just amazing. How do they cross into the land? He parts the Jordan to remind them of when he parted the Red Sea. And then they renew the covenant through circumcision, which I'd like to say is amazing. But it's kind of scary when you think about these were adult men with no anesthesia or, yeah, right, no ice, no ibuprofen. So they're recovering slowly, completely exposed to their enemies. What a lesson in trust. God will protect us as we recover. And they had experienced victory on on the east side of the Jordan. They defeated two kings. And they they just figure we're going to go right in and we're going to clear these people out. And they start with this little country, this little outpost called Ai. Small name. Small city. Ai. Letter A, letter I. And they, they send out a cohort. They run up the hill and they get slaughtered by the enemy. And they can't figure out why. What went wrong? What went wrong? I mean, we all knew 
Listen to God. Keep his word. If we obey his word, everything will go well. I'm going to give you a pop culture reference here. Go out on a limb. It reminds me of the scene in the movie Ghostbusters when they say, choose your destroyer. And they say, hey, as long as nobody thinks any, anything, nothing will happen. And out comes the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man to destroy him. And they're like, who did it? Who did it? And it was Dan Aykroyd. I said, I can't help it. Who sinned? Who sinned? God made it so clear. Who sinned? Joshua tears his his robes and he says, God, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of this, this, um, this victory for the Canaanites. And they will surround us and cut, us, cut off our name from the earth. I mean, if this little city destroys defeated us. Word's going to get out. And what will you do for your great name? See, Joshua learned from Moses to be concerned for God's glory. And the Lord said to Joshua, get up, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They just got into the land and somebody already sinned. Beloved, we need to be suspicious of our sin nature. We hear God's word on Sunday. We know what we're supposed to do and how quickly sin creeps in, temptation creeps in, and we give in. It turns out that Achan and his family had taken some things that were forbidden by God at one of their former victories, hid it under their tent, and then the whole family lied about it until God finally exposed their sin. Beloved, God will expose your sin. You can't keep it a secret. It will find you out. It's actually a blessing from God that we can't keep our sin hidden. And they end up stoning Achan and his whole family in front of Israel. Wow, what a powerful, terrible reminder of how serious God is about sin. When they repent and attack Ai the second time, it ends up being the slaughter, the easy victory that, that it should have been. It's like yesterday was the first day of college football and some of those powerhouse schools pick on some poor little school and it's like 78 to 2. You're like, how did they get a safety? Well, that's, that's the way this victory was against Ai. And this is what our victory over our culture would look like if everybody turned to God's word and obeyed God's word. They end up taking the king of Ai and and hanging him on a tree so everyone can see the penalty for being God's enemy. And they had the picture of people within their own nation, Achan and his family, Stoned to death, but they didn't hang him on a tree because cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. That is not how they killed their own. Even with the death penalty in Israel, God said, because you're an Israelite, you will be stoned to death, not hung 
on a tree. And at sunset, Joshua gave command and they took his body down from the tree and they threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. So at the time Joshua was writing the book of Joshua, that reminder was still there to this day of what happens to God's enemies. Beloved, anyone within my hearing today, I want you to consider the eternal consequences of being an enemy of God. God never calls us in his word to look at somebody and say, yeah, they're going to hell. They're going to heaven. Hell, heaven, hell, heaven. That is God's prerogative. Amen. But he does say to examine yourself that ye be in the faith. Don't assume because you came to church this morning. That you're destined for heaven. Is there fruits of repentance in your life? Do you grieve over your sin, turn from them? Is it godly remorse or worldly sorrow? Are you living in habitual, unchecked, unrepented sin? Presumptuous sin? Ah, Well, God's got it covered. Nobody will find out. God knows. Make certain of your salvation. If you're harboring unrepentant, unchecked, unconfessed sin, you need to bring that to the Lord. And I would even say bring it to somebody in the church and confess your sins to one another. And God, who is faithful and just, will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, then what happens when you do sin? I mean, what happens when a nation loses its way? What happens if your family loses its way? What if you lose your way? How do you come back to... Can you come back to God? Yes, there is a way back to God. You can return to God in the land according to His Word. Again, the Word is central here. My family just watched a documentary last week called Monumental. Raise your hand. Have you seen this documentary? Monumental. Kirk Cameron uh, filmed it. He's not the greatest director in the world. But it's a powerful documentary. It's on Netflix. I know they're selling copies of it at the Christian bookstore as well. Apparently, our founding fathers made a huge monument of limestone, just like the Bible, in Plymouth, with the formula for getting back to our roots and getting back to God if we ever lost the way. And yet this giant, beautiful monument is built in Plymouth. It's in a suburb, and it's surrounded by trees and bushes. And when people visit the D.C. area, the tours don't take people to this monument. We've got Washington's Memorial, Lincoln Memorial, and, you know, And so remember, God told Joshua, you're going to build this monument when you get into the land and it's going to be on Mount Ebal and everyone's going to see it. And it's going to be this huge white limestone structure with God's word etched in it. And every seven years, I want Israel to gather and I want you to read the entire book of the law. And I want you to have this celebration after you sacrifice to God. Joshua did just that. He built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. 
Isn't that interesting? The very thing that he had to write on the monument was the monument. So here's the monument with the writings of the book of the law on it, which gave the instructions for making the monument. It's pretty cool. An altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. I've underlined the word uncut and peace. In Hebrew, the word for uncut is from the root shalom. Shalom, which is this Hebrew idea of wholeness and peace. Well, guess what word is used for peace offering? Shalom. And we don't get to see that in our English Bible. But in the Hebrew, there would be the word shalom and then shalom. We call this an inclusio. Their book ends and God wants to draw attention to what is between those words. How do you have shalom with God? How do you have shalom with God? And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. This very monument of God's word is also an altar where the offering for atonement for sin is to be made. So here you have Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. Obey God and you'll have blessings. Disobey him, curses. But here's this altar where they have to make atonement for sin. God's saying, I already know you're going to disobey. You're a stubborn, stiff-necked people. Your parents were, and so will you be. But I love you, and I will make a way back. I find it interesting that the altar is on the Mount of Cursing and not on the Mount of Blessing. You would think the the altar where you worship would be on the Mount of Blessing, but God puts it on the Mount of Cursing. Why? Because we've said everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, who was cursed on our behalf so we could have the blessing of God. There is a way back. This is what our culture needs to know. There is a way back to God through his word, through faith in Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ that the Word speaks of. There is a way back to God. Let me skip to the slide that says Deuteronomy 21.22. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. God removes his blessing. God removes his face to shine on him in its darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, separation from God, accursed of God. Who hung on a tree for us? Who was accursed by God? Paul says in Galatians 3.11, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, See, here's the law. Keep the law and you'll be blessed. Turn your back on the law, you'll be cursed. And yet, no one can keep the law perfectly. So how, do we, how are we blessed then? If we're all disobedient to the word, how are we going to be blessed? Beloved, yes, sticks and carrots are fine. We should continue to teach. If you keep God's word, there is blessing attached. If you disobey, there is consequences. But we can't stop there. 
You have to teach your own heart and the hearts of the next generation and the hearts of this culture. We will disobey. Not presumptuously. Not, well, of course we're all going to sin, so let's go ahead and sin. God's got it covered. No, with contrition and sadness in your heart, yes, we will disobey. It's inevitable. And when it does happen, there is a way back to God's blessing and favor. Not by works, but by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. In other words, whoever wants to get into heaven by keeping the law, that is the standard by which you will have to get into heaven. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Praise God for Jesus Christ, who was accursed on our behalf, so that through faith in him we could have the blessing of God. That is how we will live in a pagan land. And that is the message we have to offer our culture. No, we're not perfect as Christians. The only difference between me and you is by God's grace, I have found the way back to God's favor. Let me show you the way. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for making a way back to you. I thank you for your law, your word, which is so good and so perfect and so easy to understand and yet so hard to accomplish. Thank you for making a way apart from works for me to find favor in your sight. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring the curse so I don't have to. That you would be called accursed of God so I could be called blessed, chosen child of God. May we live this message and teach this message in a crooked and perverse generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.